0: welcome back to the history of cologne a podcast about the city of cologne today's western germany that is over 2000 years old but until it became what it is today this old city on the rhine has endured a colorful and rich past therefore it is full of events and narrations that can represent european history like a microcosm in this podcast you can listen as the city grows What will this episode be about? Well, no more and no less about the Cologne Cathedral, which existed before the Cologne Cathedral. You heard correctly. Before the construction of today's Gothic cathedral began in the 13th century, a mighty and large Romanesque cathedral already stood on this site before, which was a model for many church builders of the Middle Ages. And before this cathedral, that you already know, stood here already another church, which I simply called Bishop's Church so far. Quasi is with it the today's Gothic Cologne Cathedral, the third large church building at the same place. Therefore it is perhaps confusing that I will speak of this second Romanesque building as the old cathedral in the episode. For it is not old at all here in the chronology of our events. On the contrary, it is just being built. But I use the term Old Cathedral throughout because it is now just from our, from today's point of view, just the predecessor building of today's Cologne Cathedral. Hence, Old Cathedral. So, long story short, we are going to talk about the Old Cologne Cathedral, which was built during the Carolingian period in the 9th century. And before you think, oh no, not another episode about architectures and church buildings, let me reassure you, we are spicing up the content of this episode with not one, but two legends about Cologne from this early 9th century period. But before we get into the topic, here would actually be a random fact about Cologne as a short intro for you. This time, however, I came up with something different. Question for you guys. You know, podcasting is nice, you broadcast to the big, wide world, you have very inaccurate statistics about your own audience, but knowing exactly who is listening to the podcast, unfortunately you don't know. On Instagram I already have a few hundred followers at the time of this recording here in 2021, but I still think that there are many who just find my pictures about Cologne Beautiful and have not really understood that the pictures on my Instagram feed serve to promote this podcast you're listening to right now. But I want to get to know you better. This may sound scary at first, yes, but it's quite simple. I get to know you better by you getting to know me better. So, do you have any questions for me of any kind, like a Q&A, about the show, about a historical topic, or about myself? Then feel free to contact me. I would like to see how many questions or suggestions I would get from you. I would collect them for a while and then publish them as a special episode here in the podcast. But don't worry, this special episode will not replace a regular episode. So feel free to write me anything, but please be nice. Remember, karma is a, you know, how can you reach me? Write me on Instagram or Facebook or write me an email at thofcgn at gmx.de. Or leave a comment on my homepage. Those are all the ways I would think of. Ah, yes, I think I also have a not very active Twitter account, but of course you could write me there as well. Everything else you can find in the show notes of this episode. At least if your podcast player displays show notes. Otherwise, please check out the historyofcologne.com for the appropriate contact options. I would be really happy. And if nothing comes of it and you don't send in questions, it's... Not a big deal. Then we just leave it. It's not the end of the world. Off to the intro. In the last episode, we had already said goodbye to Charles the Great and his best body archbishop, Hildeball of Cologne. But we can't completely part with Hildebold this episode yet. So in this episode, he appears just half of us. I'll tell you why that is and why some historians think that I shouldn't mention Hildebold at all in this topic. I had also concluded in the last episode with Charles the Great as an emperor. An emperor of a large, united Frankish empire, who had conquered large areas of what is now northern Germany on the other side of the Rhine and incorporated them into his own domain. And many several parts of Europe he had conquered. Charles the Great had thus created a situation for Cologne that the city had never had before. Cologne was now no longer a city on the edge of an empire or civilization area, as it had been under the Romans and indeed for a long time under the Franks as well. Now, Cologne was located in the middle of the Frankish Empire and was one of the centers from which the further conquest and especially the Christianization of Central Europe took place. For this reason, Cologne had been elevated to the seat of an archbishopric. It was to supervise and support the newly established neighboring bishoprics. In times where church and the empire worked hand in hand, this created an ecclesiastical and also political structure that was to last for a whole thousand years, until the age of Napoleon in around 1800. This fact that the Archbishopric of Cologne now possessed such power is also reflected in the theme of today's episode. The city and the Archbishopric, perhaps already the citizenry itself, decided to build a large cathedral that would do justice to the largest city on the Rhine in the Eastern Frankish Empire. So magnificent and massive was the building to be that it would serve as a model for other church building of its kind for its time. Well, the will on the one hand to build such a cathedral is one thing. But the start of a construction around the year 800 also provides information about the economic and social situation of the city. Because a city that would be in a decline or even completely poor and insignificant would never decide to build such a building. Apparently, therefore, the city will also have had the necessary capital and the means to undertake such a huge building effort. This also proves how important thus also wealthy, the city must have been for that time. But I had promised it to you. Before we drift off into a purely architectural episode here, which I don't intend to do either, by the way, let's come to well-known legend about the construction of the old Cologne Cathedral. So, let's begin. With sadness in his heart, Archbishop Hildebald traveled back from Aachen to Cologne in 814. Only recently, he had buried his friend, the emperor charles the great in aachen cathedral hildebold now very old also knew that he did not have a long time to live so hildebold decided to build a large cathedral in his hometown and official residence in cologne an artificial hill in the northeast corner of the city was to serve as the building site the previous christian bishop's church had already stood there for some time, along with the adjacent palace and the manor houses of the archbishop of Cologne. The bishop's church was then quickly demolished, standing on foundations of Roman buildings from which the bishop's church itself had once sprung in late antiquity. Shortly after the construction work for the new, well, the old cathedral began. But then the work slowed down and stalled. Hildebold was concerned and asked on site why the workers would not continue to work on the construction. The workers told their archbishop that in the Roman ruins, now that the bishop's church was no longer standing, the pagan spirits from pre-Christian times came from the depths and jumped around, scaring the workers away. Furthermore, they told of eerie voices and lights even in broad daylight that would drive some of them mad and frightened them. Another event a few days later capped it all off. Clouds of smoke rose in the excavation pit for inexplicable reasons. During the escape and the resulting chaos due to poor visibility because of the smoke, numerous workers were injured. From then on the workers stopped all work. Their fear of further angering the pagan spirits living there was too great. It was clear to Hildebold that he had to settle the matter himself as the archbishop. At night, the aged archbishop went into the excavation pit of the cathedral completely alone. Hildebold rejected all objections from his friends, followers and servants, who asked him to take at least a few guards with him, but he declined. Hildebold was now standing all alone in the abandoned excavation pit at night. He began to pray and ask God for help. Soon he was in dire need of it, for it was not too long before the spirits tried to surround the old archbishop and tried to devour him with their dark magic. But Hildebold kept the upper hand. With blessings and prayers, the evil spirits did not manage to touch Hildebold. It did not take long until Hildebold managed to push the demons or spirits back. He led them towards the Rhine River, and with loud cries they fled across the river into the far distance and were never seen again. Immediately, the previously foggy night became starry. Hildebold knew then that the Spirits were gone for good. Relieved, Herbald sat down on a stone nearby and said some more prayers for a while. Well, better say it than sorry. This is a well-known legend about the construction of the old Cologne Cathedral. Here, too, it should be noted that the story is certainly fictitious. But as always, there is also a grain of truth in this legend. Or at least... Some background to it is interesting, which led to this legend formation. How people came to believe that there are spirits in the excavation pit for the cathedral has a reason. Before the year 355, the year the Franks destroyed Roman Cologne for the first time, a natural slope down to the Rhine had existed in this place in the northeastern corner. The Roman townspeople of course wanted to remove the rubble after Rome reconquered Cologne a year later in 356, but rubble and debris are difficult and tedious to remove. In order to be able to carry out the reconstruction as fast as possible, the residents seized the opportunity. They dumped all the rubble and debris in exactly this sloping northeast corner of the Roman city. This killed two birds with one stone. On the one hand, the rubble was quickly removed. On the other hand, they had also created a more level surface in the northeastern corner of the city. Today's Cologne Cathedral Hill was created in this way. When the builders in the 9th century dug into the depths for the foundation of the old cathedral, they will certainly have come across precisely this rubble after only a few dozen centimeters. And what they found in the ground was all that could not be reused as building material. Statues and busts, as well as religious idols, will certainly have been among them. After more than 350 years of the end of Roman rule in Cologne and the Rhineland, with the simultaneous demise of all pagan religions, hardly anyone in Cologne will have known of such pagan objects. And from their understandable point of view... They would have been terribly afraid when they found all of this. This was then perhaps embellished to just that legend, which I have just told you. Let us come to the question posed at the beginning, whether it is right to mention Bishop Hildebald here at all. The beginnings of the old cathedral in the ninth century are part of lively discussions in historical research. Therefore only as always the short version. For a long time it was indeed assumed that the cathedral was already begun under Hildebold around the year 800. Indications for this were the rich donations of Charles the Great to the bishop's church in Cologne and thus also to Hildebold as its bishop during that time. The donations might have been intended to finance the new construction of the old cathedral. Another indication are historical sources, but from later times, which name Hildebold as the founder of the Old Cathedral. So it happened that this Old Cathedral was titled mostly in historical research in the past as the Hildebold Cathedral. But then there are also opinions that the Old or the Hildebold Cathedral was built only in the second half of the 9th century. So several decades after Hildebold and Charles the Great have lived. In more recent times, however, there are again more and more voices, again, that, based on archaeological finds, tend to date the laying of the foundation stone of the old cathedral indeed to the time of Hildebold. So, pretty confusing, right? Yeah, and for this reason I have decided to talk about this topic even now. What is certain, however, the new, the later old, cathedral in the ninth century is a new building which replaced the bishop's church in this place. The bishop's church itself was from late, ancient, still Roman times. However, this area was leveled archaeologically verifiable. The old cathedral was therefore not an expanded bishop's church, but a completely new building. What did the old cathedral look like? The appearance of the church can indeed be well reconstructed. This has two reasons. The first reason, obviously, archaeology. The old cathedral has been well explored in archaeological ways. Remember the episode about the churches in the Merovingian period, where I said that the time after the Second World War Was used to intensively explore the underground of today's Cologne Cathedral. In the process, the researchers found almost completely preserved foundation walls of the old Cologne Cathedral. During the construction of the later Gothic Cathedral in the 13th century, the workers had built directly into the foundations of the old cathedral and only demolished the foundations and foundation walls of the old cathedral where this could not be avoided. This saved a lot of work in demolishing the old cathedral and allowed the new gothic cathedral from the 13th century, nowadays Cologne Cathedral, to be built more quickly. Well, it still took 600 years, but yeah, still. This is all clearly visible in the archaeological excavation zone under Cologne Cathedral, which I have already mentioned here. It is open to the public for a small entrance fee. But I recommend you to have a booked tour guide. Otherwise, you'll see the same as I did with my untrained eyes. Just a bunch of different stones laying around. But as soon as you take a closer look or get pointed out the corresponding clues, then you can see really remarkable things. At the northwest portal, of the old cathedral, the door was probably slightly offset. You can clearly see the completely preserved stepping stone of that northwestern entrance, quasi the threshold to the old cathedral, that one side of this stone has clear signs of whereby by the feet of visitors that came and went for over 400 years or more. Then some parts of the joints of the floor and even whole floor tiles of the old cathedral are preserved. These are nowadays, like everything described here, a few meters below the present Gothic Cologne Cathedral. I'm sure you know what I'm going to say. If you want to see pictures of this excavation zone, and I think you should, with the examples described here, then check out the companion post of this episode. You can find it at thehistoryofcologne.com. Or follow me on social media, where I also upload many pictures and videos of the respective episodes. I would be happy. We are now a really nice community there, and really the excavation site is remarkable. You should take a look at the pictures of it. So, archaeology as often is a friend and helper for researchers. That is one reason why we know pretty well how the old cathedral before nowadays gothic cologne cathedral looked like but there's a second reason as said that we can reconstruct the old cathedral from the time of the carolingians in the best possible way simply put the people of that time were kind enough to depict the old cathedral in their drawings and writings isn't that really nice why didn't people do that more often during that time then maybe the poor archaeological teams wouldn't have to spend quite so many days digging in the mud all the time. Around the year 10.025, I know this is a few years ahead of our chronology right now, but listen to me, the library of the Cologne Cathedral received a codex whose donor, named Helinos, had provided it with a beautiful painted cover. This showed the donor and priest Helinos himself, holding the very codex in his hands, handing it over to St. Peter, who is the patron of the cathedral. In the upper fifth of the cover, the old Cologne Cathedral is depicted in great detail as seen from the south. In this depiction, it coincides almost completely with the foundation walls excavated by archaeologists under the present today's gothic cathedral. If that were not enough, even the floor and the colorful tiles are drawn in at the bottom of the cover. Largely red and green tiles, which you personally can still discover in the excavation zone under the Cologne Cathedral. You have to have a look at the title page of this Helinus Codex. You can find it in my companion post to this episode or on thehistoryofcologne.com. With a length of 100 meters, the old Cologne Cathedral was one of the largest churches in Europe and occupied a large part of the Roman northern city wall between the banks of the Rhine and the old Roman main street, the Cato Maximus or today's Hohe Straße. For this purpose, the Roman city wall had been comprehensively repaired and even the watchtowers had been extended. In the west, the old cathedral had a large atrium, an inner courtyard covered on the sides, which reached as far as to the Straße. To the south of the cathedral, the buildings belonging to the archbishop's palace and a separate palace chapel for the archbishop adjoined directly. A bit overkill as far as prayer rooms are concerned if you ask me, because the bishop has the great cathedral right next door. To the east of the cathedral facing the Rhine, another church was to be built later in the high Middle Ages, but we will get to that when it's the time for that. The church building had an apse at both the west and east ends, and a transept at each end, which had square ends. In the west, the apse was flanked by two towers. In each of the two apses, there was probably an altar that Rose above the floor to provide access to the crypts below, which were just a little below the floor. Stone stairs must therefore have led up to both altars. The one in the west was dedicated to St. Peter and the one in the east to St. Mary. Doesn't all that architecture talk mean anything to you? Well, then what are you waiting for? Take a look at the model of the cathedral on my homepage. In this way, This Romanesque-style church existed for about 400 years, from the 9th century to the 13th century. Quite a long time, which makes you forget that before the current landmark of the city, nowadays Gothic Cologne Cathedral, for a long time here were other buildings in its place. This old cathedral in the Romanesque style with its 400 years, has existed longer than the finished Cologne Cathedral from nowadays, which was just finished in the 1880s. Okay, so that was the technical data of the old cathedral. Let's try to decipher a little of its little-known construction history. We have already discussed when the construction of the old cathedral began. There are contradictory opinions about this. Some see the start of construction still at the time of Hildebald and Charles the Great so before 818 the year in which Hildebald allegedly died others said it was in the second half of the 9th century then for the year 857 it was reported in the Fulda annals that a lightning strike in Field will kill a priest standing at the altar of St Peter in the west and two other people Annals are yearbooks made in that time mostly by monasteries that record the main events of a year. The monastery of Fulda was particularly diligent in this regard for the 9th century and because it has been handed down to our time, it is an important historical source from the Carolingian period. It's been a long time since we read out a historical written source. But it has been a time where we had hardly any written sources for our topics here. So we had to rely mainly on what archaeology had found out. So let's do it again just for fun. Let's read out from the Fulda Annals. Translate into English. It is also written in the entry for the year 857, quote. There was also a synod held in Mainz around October 1st under the presidency of Archbishop Karl where in addition to other things that were discussed about spiritual law, a letter from the bishop of Cologne, Gunther, to Bishop Altfried was shown, in which one read that on September 15th there had been a very terrible storm in Cologne and when all the people fled from the tremendous fright into the church of St. Peter and begged with one accord for God's mercy under the ringing of the church bells, suddenly a mighty, Lightning bolts tore the church apart, like a fiery dragon, entered and struck down three people from the whole crowd in different places, but dead with one blow. Namely, the priest next to the altar of St. Peter, the diacon next to the altar of St. Dionysus, a layman by the altar of St. Mary, and six others in numbers so struck down that they were barely half dead. End quote. The fuller annals do not say, however, whether the lightning strike, which resulted in three deaths on the 15th September, already affected the new building, so the old cathedral, or its predecessor, the bishop's church. Even the completion of the old cathedral raises questions. The church was consecrated and thus released for official operation as a place of worship on the 27th September 873, but some sources also speak of the same day in 870, so three years earlier. So even that we don't know for sure, but it gets even more complicated. Building churches takes time, of course, but in the case of this Romanesque church, perhaps the construction time was not so long after all. Probably the old cathedral was already finished before 870 or 873. Why this can be? Well, for some years the bishop's seat in Cologne had been vacant in the middle of the 9th century. Thus, there had simply been no bishop in Cologne around who could have officially consecrated and opened the cathedral. However, one thing is remarkable. It is true that cathedral... Is a derivation from ancient Greek simply meaning seat, so, further speaking, meaning the seat of the archbishop. But did the old cathedral belong to the archbishop at all? You just have to imagine this. Building a church takes a long time, it needs coordination, organization, and foresight. Therefore, a development had taken place in the entire Frankish Empire which was also noticeable in numerous churches in Cologne, but also at the cathedral itself. The clergy working and serving in big church buildings themselves had created their own structures for the administration, not only for the church building itself, but also of the immediate surroundings, estates and farms that belonged to a respective collegiate church, which an archbishop could no longer manage alone. Churches which often developed into monasteries or ecclesiastical foundations in Cologne, were not only buildings in which people prayed. Increasingly, through donations by wealthy citizens or even kings, but also through clever management, they themselves became medium-sized trading and economic companies. They became places of education and science. Well, at least within the framework that the intellectual and religious ideas of the Middle Ages allowed. This is indeed a somewhat complicated matter, which we will discuss in more detail another time. For these collegiate churches or monasteries, with their self-governing bodies, both on the spiritual but especially on the secular level, would dominate the city for many centuries, and indeed they still dominate large parts of the cityscape of Cologne today, as already shown in the episode on the churches in Frankish Cologne. So also the new but from our today's point of view old cathedral will have already had a so-called cathedral chapter, a body of spiritual members. These members directed the administrative and religious affairs of the cathedral, The members themselves are often referred to as canons or just because of the name of their body as capitulars. However, the members themselves were usually not simple monks in simple cowls, but were nobles who had entered the priesthood. Again, the brief note. Chastity and celibacy were not as mature at that time as they are today in the Catholic Church, Often in those days, it was okay to have a wife and children as a clergyman. Only when one became a bishop, perhaps, was it looked at a bit more strictly. But this case never happened for most priests, of course. In the further history of the city of Cologne, the powerful Cologne Cathedral chapter was to play a major role in the political events of the city, against emperors, popes, and sometimes against the city's Own archbishop. But of course, more about this in due course. The emergence of such cathedral chapters was typical for the time of the 9th century in Europe and is therefore naturally also reflected in Cologne. Noble members of the Cologne Cathedral chapter, as builders of the Cologne Cathedral, then probably also explain where the funds for the nevertheless very expensive construction of this cathedral of stone came from. But good. You know too well that I am not an archaeologist. Let's leave it with the technical details and assumptions about the construction history. Fact is, from at least the second half of the 9th century, Cologne already had a large and powerful cathedral. For a whole 400 years it would dominate the city. It was not until the demolition in 1248 and the construction of today's Cologne Cathedral that this cathedral became the old cathedral. As promised, let's end the episode with another legend. It is the legend of the, well, I translate it as the Pious Peter Man. (laughs) I hope this is the best translation I could come up with. The Pious Peter Man was originally called Reynald and came from the lower nobility. For a long time he and his three brothers had fought against Charles the Great in the Saxon Wars. In the end, however, like everyone else, they had to bow to Charles the Great's will and rule. After he surrendered, Reynald never wanted to hold a weapon in his hand again after this bloody time. But what should he do? Reynold had been a knight all his life and knew nothing to do with himself. Then he heard that the Archbishop of Cologne, Hildebold, was planning to build a mighty new cathedral for his city, which was to be dedicated to St. Peter and St. Mary. Reynald had found his passion and hired on at the construction site of the old cathedral. Day after day, Reynold slaved away like a man possessed, managing the work of several men at once. At the same time, however, he was so humble. He shared his little bread with the poor people of the city and he made his own toys for children out of wood for free. The people of Cologne liked him so much that from then on he had the nickname the pious Peter man because he worked at the cathedral that would be later dedicated to St. Peter and St. Mary. Everyone liked him. Well, almost everyone. For the pious Peter man wanted to complete the cathedral as quickly as possible to please God. However, some of his comrades on the construction site did not like his zeal, because when someone is as hard working as Reynald, the laziness of the laziest all the more noticeable. Unfortunately, when Reynold also becomes the foreman for a group of good for nothings, disaster strikes. The begrudges and lazy people of this group get together and plan to murder him, well Reynold. Although the pious Peter man is warned by some other workers who picked up the plans at work, maybe during a lunch break, Still, Reynold refuses to believe the rumors. Reynold is so eager and intent that he even stays at the construction site at night to sleep there. It's actually quite practical because then it doesn't take so long to get to work. What employer wouldn't want such employees? No more silly excuses being in a traffic jam on an autobahn and coming late. At the construction site, the group of good for nothings finds reynolds one night and without hesitation they slay the poor man and throw his dead body into the rhine the next day no one could find reynolds no wonder he had been killed rasputin style the following night the people in cologne told each other strange things a spot in the rhine at the height of the construction site began to glow at night everyone who went to the Rhine could also hear voices singing beautifully. However, the people of Cologne are not entirely comfortable with this. No one dared to approach the site on the Rhine, not even on a boat. A few weeks later, an elderly lady is lying in bed with severe pain. A heavenly voice tells her to go to that very place on the Rhine in the evening. Then she would get well. No sooner said than done, the elderly lady maneuvers herself there with great effort and jumps into the Rhine. As promised, the miracle works. The elderly lady is as fit as a fiddle again. To the simultaneous horror of those present on the bank, however, they also see that the corpse of the pious Peterman lies here. As if by an invisible hand, all the church bells in the city began to ring at that moment. It is therefore not surprising that Reynold was canonized shortly afterwards and became a saint. This was the legend of Saint Reynold or the pious Peterman. What? You don't believe the story? Well, that is up to you, of course. You can visit Reynold yourself and ask him personally. Well, at least his lower leg bone. You can find it nowadays in the Probsteikirche in Dortmund, a church in Dortmund, a city 90 kilometers northeast of Cologne. Why is it there? Well, that's a story all of its own, with many twists and turns. You might have to ask about that on a podcast about the city of Dortmund. If there is one at all, I have no idea. Let's leave it for today. As literature sources, besides the usual books like the one by Marcus Trier about the Cologne of the Franks, a book from the publishing house of the Cologne Cathedral itself helped me this time too. The book Schichten und Geschichten unter dem Dom, or in English Layers and Stories under the Cathedral, has presented and analyzed in a very descriptive way those very excavations under the Cathedral. Then I myself was a source for this episode as well, since I was down there last summer 2020 and diligently absorbed everything I was told during a guided tour I already knew the saga of Kunibet in the excavation pit as well as that of the pious peter man but as a refresher of course I reread them from the cologne legends book by goswin peter garth I also hope you enjoyed this episode Feel free to recommend me to others, and don't forget to ask me questions for the Q&A I announced in the intro. Next time, hmm, what we will talk about? Interesting question, I have to see what we can do. Maybe take a look at Cologne in the 9th century, or focus more on institutions that establish themselves in that period. Or but I think this will be in the episode after the next episode, we will have to look at very mean men that, let's say, visit Cologne for at least two or three times. What am I talking about? The Vikings, of course. Thank you very much for listening. As I said, recommend me further, don't forget the questions for the Q&A and, as always, auf Wiedersehen.